Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm going to hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Because when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Hold on. Ed is saying, Ed? are you there? Ed? Yes. Can you hear us, Ed? This is the Press Box. To answer your question, Jared, before we go to break, and hopefully Ed chimes in a little. (laughs) With Grady and Bischoff. We'll take a break, and when we come back, maybe Ed Grady will be able to hear us. You guys there? On ESPN Las Vegas. Ah, the things that happen when we broadcast from the house. Half the time, I didn't even know if I'm on or not. It's ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ed, Tyler, and Jared, we are on this morning, and why not start off with what everyone's thinking about, some VGK. The first bite. Did the Golden Knights do enough at the trade deadline? I actually think they did, given they didn't you know, lose anyone off the roster, and we've talked countless days about their cap hit and you know their cap situation and what they would have had to do to create more space and probably trade guys away. So I... I'm fine with it. Um, you know, I, you know, we, we know we've read a little bit about what he brings, um, uh, you know, but yeah, Tyler, I'm fine with it given everything, um, that they probably had to go up against with the cap. And, you know, as we've said, that's their own issue. That's their problem that they put themselves in that position, but they obviously think they're good enough and they obviously didn't want to get anyone off this roster. Are they overly obsessed with not trading one, trading anyone off the roster? Because I think every single trade deadline, we hear that same exact quote from Georgia Kefir Kelly McCrimmon about how we didn't want to get rid of anybody on the current roster. Like, did, like would they really have a worse chance to win the Stanley Cup if Will Carrier or Keegan Colasar or Ryan Reeves was suddenly traded away? Like, none of that would actually make a big impact on if they were winning the Stanley Cup or not. Well, don't trade away Keegan Colasar. You wouldn't even put him on waivers. Are you kidding me? Don't bring that guy's name into any of these conversations. You can bring Reeves in and Carrier, but don't you dare bring Keegan Colasar in because remember earlier in the year, I mean, they would have passed out if that kid went on waivers. I, I just find it fascinating that every trade deadline, that's one of the key talking points from the front office as well. We didn't want to trade anyone off the roster. And it's like, I, I guess, but like... Seriously, if they had traded away Will Carrier yesterday, would anybody be sitting here saying, "Oh, that's that's a that's a blow"? That they're not going to recover from trading away Will Carrier yesterday? Like, no. no. Like, it's let not me that ask big you this though. Let me ask you this, and I, you know, you can tell me if if let's say it was Will Carrier, right? They moved Will Carrier. They're still not. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're still not getting in the realm of like it's like you know someone mentioned yesterday. You might have been you to where. There's a top tier of guys, right, um, that, that went. And not many guys went, actually, and McCrimmon talked about that. It just it was one of those weird years where not many deals were made. So if you move Carrier, you don't get in that top tier, right, with the cap. I mean, you'd have to move someone significant to deal with the Taylor Halls or who, whoever you want to say that, that got moved that were a big name. Or do you think moving Carrier could have got them a better player than they got? Well, okay, so if, if you can find – two teams to retain salary, like they did with Matthias Janmark yesterday, right. Will right. Carrier makes $1.4 million. That means okay. if you if you if his salary was gone, if he was involved in a trade and his salary did not count, you can you can actually get a player worth $5.6 million for $1.4 million. 
because if, if you get other teams if, to retain, yes, like because like yeah. Matias Janmark, for example, his cap hit for the Golden Knights is five hundred and sixty-two thousand yeah. dollars. Like yeah. that's that's below the league minimum because yeah. San Jose is is the third team that was also retaining twenty-five or fifty percent of the salary, just like uh, Chicago is. So. If you were to move a Will Carrier who makes one point four million, that actually frees you. That gives you the ability to acquire a player who's making five point six million dollars in total. So, you know, you're not getting to the guys that are making eight million dollars, but you're getting to the guys that are making five, almost six million dollars. So, yeah, and, and what what trade was available? What player was available at five point six million? Yeah, like there might not have been a good one out there. So it's sort it's more hypothetical. I just find it odd that every off season. The golden or every excuse me trade deadline, the Golden Knights are like, well, we couldn't get rid of anybody on the roster, and it's like, well, I mean, you could, like, it's not like your team's going down the drain because Carrier's not here anymore, right? Like, you'd survive if you lost to Will Carrier. So I just find that on now on Matthias Janmark. First off, I'll say this: I think a second and a third is probably a bit too much to give up for a guy that's going to play on your third line. Um, not that NHL draft picks have a ton of value after the first round, but to give up two picks for a guy that's going to play, you know, the rest of the regular season, the playoffs, then is probably gone after that. Like you've got a rental and you gave up two picks for that. It, it's not great, but when you're getting two other teams to retain salary, you can understand why. Here's my concern though with Matthias Janmark. 41 games this year, he has 10 goals and nine assists, which is you know, better than anybody not named Alex Tuck that plays for the Golden Knights' third or fourth line. But four goals and six assists have come on the power play, uh, which means his five-on-five production hasn't been very good this year. And Matthias Janmark has the worst Corsi and the worst expected goals of any player for the Chicago Blackhawks, or I should say any forward for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's down at 42%. Um, he has not been good as far as play driving in Chicago. Now, he was in Dallas before this last season when he when he signed with Chicago. Uh, his analytics were closer to 50% for most of his years in Dallas. A couple were over 50%. So he's had some good years as far as the analytics go. But in Chicago, he has been one of their worst players. Um, that should change coming to Vegas because Vegas is a high possession team. But I, I'm curious how big of an impact Matias Janmark will have on the Golden Knights because he wasn't having much of an impact for the Chicago Blackhawks. Well, the only thing I figured out yesterday is if he's a pretty good player in the third line, which is what they needed, and analytics don't matter, then Gerard Gallant is very excited about this. <laughs> so I do believe that the former coach had the bad analytics, but he can play, would fit right in. Um, you know, I, I guess what's the trade-off? They needed a middle six guy, right? And... You know, all we heard about yesterday is, you know, his speed and he and Tuck are just going to be really good in the third line because of their speed. Yeah, I mean, it should worry you. It should definitely worry the analytics people. Uh, and I think most of them are. I joke about Gallant because I don't think he, you know, embraced them as much as, you know, McPhee wanted him to. But it should worry them. And the other thing is, I think, I believe a lot of this, a lot of uh, Matisse's numbers came early in the year. I don't think he's been good lately. Again, though, and you mentioned this yesterday. A lot of times um, we've seen guys come on this team and play with better players and their numbers improve. So I have to believe they're hoping that happens as well, that he's now on a really, really good team and he's going to play with better players. And in essence, that's going to, you know, 
increase his numbers or get him back to uh, what he was doing earlier in the year. Um, I, you know, Cody Glass obviously is not what they at this point thought he was, but the, you know, the few times he plays with Stone and Pacioretty, he's a lot better. So we'll see with uh, Matisse, but no, I mean, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt until we see him, you know, with this good a team to see how much he can help. Well, you know, is, is Matisse the uh, difference in winning a cup? No, absolutely not. But he might be able to help and facilitate that if he can get that third line going more and produce a little more. So, I mean, I think I don't think it's a bad signing because he plays a position they needed an upgrade at. But you're right. I mean, analytically, um, if you just look at it that way, you go, "Ooh, wait a minute," and you kind of cringe and kind of hope he's a lot better than what that the the numbers say. It's it's going to come down to does he score goals? Because what what they have in Matthias Janmark, they've got another player who is not going to drive the play himself, which is what their third line has been forever. Alex Tuck is maybe the one exception, right? Their third line is is usually a bunch of guys that need to play with better players to actually have success. So Janmark isn't any different in that. The key to Matthias Janmark being a good addition for the Golden Knights is simply, does he score? Is he going to score goals while playing with Alex Tuck? If you rely on Alex Tuck to drive the play, or, you know, if they're playing, Shea Theodore's on the ice, because Shea Theodore's one of the best, you know, offensive drivers in the NHL. If you're relying on the other guys on the ice to, you know, create possession, hold possession, retain possession of the puck, it's coming down to can Matthias Janmark actually produce goals? Can he finish? Can he put the puck in the back of the net? And this year, I mean, 10 goals in 41 games is good. Um, a lot of that's come on the power play Four of those 10 have come on the power play. But if you look at his last couple of years, when he was in Dallas, he scored 12 goals over the last two seasons prior to this one. So he was not scoring very much the previous two years. He had 19 goals four seasons ago for Dallas. So he has had some good goal numbers in his career, but he scored 12 goals in his last two seasons for Dallas. He's got six this year and 41 for Chicago, and four of those have come on the power play. He has not been a great five-on-five goal scorer for three seasons now in the NHL. So I am very curious as to what the Golden Knights got exactly in Matthias Janmark. Or, you know, are we sitting here in the playoffs saying, yeah, they they improved their scoring on the third line? Or are we sitting here looking at Matthias Janmark and thinking of him the same way we think of Nick Waugh, Cody Glass, Tomas Nosek before this recent hot streak and everybody else they've tried on that third line where they're just not good enough. They just can't score because that's what, that's what I think is ultimately going to happen here with Matias Janmark. It can't, you know, I mean, it can't be, or like you said, they paid too much, right? I mean, it can't be that he can't be Nosek or glass or whoever. I mean, I know Nosek, like you said, he's got up to seven and he scored a little lately, but he can't be that he has to be better or you'll look back now. If they win the cup, none of it matters because no one will remember that. No one will talk about the salary cap, and everyone will be happy, and it won't. Yeah. None of this will matter. But if they don't, and he's not good, you'll absolutely look back and say, you know, could you have gotten more? And and there are deals out there for top level guys where if they would have had people retain salary, they could have gotten one of those top level guys. Like you said, they kind of. I mean, at this point. I don't know if they overpaid, but we're going to find out really quickly if they did, right? I mean, if he comes in and can't score five on five and, you know, he can do a little things on, on special teams, but he's not doing much five on five, then you're going to say that's an overpayment. I think you have to wait and see. I mean, like I said, it doesn't matter if they win it all. None of this matters. But if they don't and he doesn't produce, it won't be the first thing people say because at the end of the day, it's still a guy who's on the third line, the middle six. But you will, as you go down the list of why they didn't win it all, 
eventually you're going to get to him and say you overpaid for him if he doesn't produce and they don't win it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we're if they're in the playoffs and we're talking about the lack of depth scoring, right? If we're talking about, oh, it's yeah. only Stone and Pacioretty and Carlson or whatever. Those are the only guys that can score for this team. You're absolutely, you're, he, he is eventually on the list. Now, yes. if they get eliminated from the playoffs, I highly doubt Matthias Janmark is the biggest reason why, right? Like no, we're probably no. We're probably talking about either bad goaltending or, you know, Stone and Pacioretty stopped scoring or Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo didn't give you anything. Like, he's yeah. not going to be high on the list, but no. you'll you'll look back and say, eh, you kind of wasted a second or third round pick if yeah. Matthias Janmark isn't producing anything. Right. And they get eliminated from the playoffs. So it's, yeah, I mean, I don't think they did enough yesterday to make any big impact as far as their chances to win the Stanley Cup. But I understand they were in a position where they couldn't have done a whole lot. They weren't sitting there with the opportunity to add a Mark Stone or add a Robin Leonard plus Alec Martinez, right? I I understand that. So expectation-wise, they did... Maybe more than I expected, but I don't think Matthias Janmark actually has a noticeable difference on this team's chances to win the Stanley Cup because I think he's just ultimately going to be another third liner that maybe produces a few more goals than what they were originally getting, but ultimately not somebody that makes a massive impact on the team. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, they said he can go up and down the lineup. I mean, at this point, I don't know if he goes any higher in the third line or should go higher in the third line, right? I mean... We'll have to see yeah. injuries. They've had injuries. Who knows? I mean, guys can get hurt. You don't want guys. You don't want guys to get hurt. But they've had guys who got hurt. Would you know? But then again, if you're moving someone up, I'd assume you move Tuck up before him, don't you? Right. Exactly. If there was one injury, you're you're finding a way to get Tuck up there before right. Janmark. What What'll be interesting with Janmark as far as moving him up or down the lineup is if you remember the color the first time they played Colorado, that fourth game they changed the lines up so they could get more depth on the third line. And I'd be curious to see if at any point the rest of the season or if it happens in the playoffs when they need to mix the lines up, hey, we move Matias Janmark, he's now playing with Stone and, and, uh, and you know, Stevenson or whatever right. it is, how, how successful he'd be there. Because he might, I mean, most people would be, but he might be really successful in that role. He might give, he gives them a little bit more depth in terms of, hey, I want to make some changes to the line, whereas right now... Before the Janmark trade, they had seven good forwards. Now, yes. they still have seven good forwards, and maybe Janmark is an eighth good forward right. on this team that gives them a little bit more flexibility with changing the lines around. All right, coming up next, Major League Soccer. Oh, we're getting teased all the time, Ed. Don Garber, he loves us. He says we're getting a team, maybe. Madrigal at second, grounded a first. Chang's got it. He's up with it. This is thrown away. It's going to get into left. Here comes Madrigal. And the White Sox win it! The White Sox win it! Madrigal comes around to score. The throw hit the runner. There's Gatorade out by the mound. The White Sox win it in the bottom of the ninth. 4-3. They stop the Indians' four-game win streak. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Wait, so Jared, you think that's a bad way to win a game? A throwing error? I mean, it doesn't feel good. Oh, no, that's phenomenal. They The second baseman or whoever throws it into right field or something and your runner comes around to score? That's great. Yeah, that doesn't. Uh, that, that's one of those, you didn't win, they lost. 
The only yeah, better way, the only better way to win a game is if a guy leans into a pitch to get hit on purpose <laughs> with the bases loaded, and he puts his elbow in, and then they go to review it, like, yeah, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. We know he put his elbow in there. He didn't try to get out of the way of the ball. Game's over. Get off the field. I gotta, I gotta find this. A couple years ago, the Astros won on a pop up that did not get past the pitcher's mound. Um, it, I think oh. it was against the, I think it was against the Padres, but they dropped it, and the runner on second came all the way around to score the winning run. It was oh, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Like I have no problem with winning a game like that. I still can't comprehend Jared's. What's the worst way to win? Because they're all great ways to win. I will take every single way that you could possibly win. So, anyways. I will also take any possible way that we get a Major League Soccer team to Las Vegas. Uh, Don Garber yesterday had a preseason uh, press conference as Major League Soccer season gets started this weekend. And if you recall, Major League Soccer was going to expand to Sacramento, but the ownership group in Sacramento backed out earlier this year, meaning... MLS still has 29 teams on track that either are playing now or will be playing eventually. Sacramento was going to be the 30th team, but now they have an open spot. And what Don Garber said yesterday was, right now there are other markets that we're looking at. I'm sure people are expecting that whether that be Las Vegas or San Diego or whether it be Phoenix, we'll see how all those develop. So Don Garber yesterday, without being... Asked about specific cities, he himself brought up three different cities as potential new markets for Major League Soccer. Should we put anything into that? Uh, I think we only put anything into that if Seth Klarman still likes Las Vegas uh, and wants to spend a bunch of money here and, and build a stadium. I think reading the story, so here's the deal. Correct me if I'm wrong. The MLS likes soccer-only stadiums, but... If they have to make, or if they want to make a decision quickly, they said in the story they've also had conversation with San Diego State. San Diego State's building that 35,000-seat stadium where Qualcomm was for football. So I guess if the MLS can get past the idea that they would share the stadium with San Diego State, I don't know if Landon Donovan's still uh, leading that group in San Diego. That might be hard, stiff competition. If something slows down here and Clarman's money's not there, or Goodman can't get it done, and San Diego State has this brand-new stadium – and they want to get it done fast, that might be the main competition. Uh, they're going to have to go into the stadium and share it with San Diego State, but maybe being in San Diego, they, they would kind of, they'd be okay with that. Yeah, the, the soccer-specific stadium, it's, it's more about they don't want to be in giant football stadiums. Like Allegiant Stadium. Steep. They don't want to be in Allegiant right. State. Because you're looking at 65,000 seats, right. and you're not getting 65,000 people to watch them play. There are a couple of, of exceptions to that. Atlanta and Seattle do come very close, if not always, filling up an actual 70,000-seat football stadium. But for the most part, you're talking about attendances that are around 20,000, and 20,000 would be a great crowd for an MLS team in Vegas. It would look awful if it was in Allegiant Stadium. It would look terrible if they had 20,000 people in there. So that's part of the reason why it does, it's not a great atmosphere when it's a massive stadium and there's 20,000 people and it just looks bad. So I think even though it would be San Diego State Stadium, I think they'd be okay with that because it would be, you know, 30,000, 35,000 yes, 35, seats. Yes, 35,000 seats. It might be a little big for what San Diego would pull in, but I, I think that is ultimately a... a doable stadium now like other leagues you know you if you're a team you want to own your stadiums you control all the revenue streams from it right. they wouldn't have that in san diego and if 
I, I think if it, if it was competing and both were on the same timeline, and in Vegas we had Seth Klarman building a stadium downtown, soccer-specific, I think we'd actually oh, beat San Diego out yeah. because of that. Yeah. But, yeah. like you said, if that timeline with Seth Klarman never happens, because, again, it's been over a year now, and <laughs> nothing has happened with Seth Klarman actually getting the downtown land and owning Las Vegas Lights and building a soccer-specific stadium... At this point, I think it's fair to say we should question, will that ever happen? Because when is it going to happen? So, yeah, if that if that never comes to fruition, I don't know what Vegas' shot is. I don't know where Vegas has – is there another ownership group that exists that wants to put an MLS team in Vegas? I mean, maybe, but we don't know about it. All we know about is Seth Klarman right now, and that seems to be dragging its feet for all eternity. Well, and also, look, if if you're if you're Goodman or whoever, you know, all the people leading this charge to get an MLS team, and I'm sure they already have or someone's showing them this, and you read this, if something isn't done fast, then I don't know if it's going to happen. Because if you have if you have Garber on, on record with Las Vegas being the first city he mentions now that the Sacramento bid's on hold, uh, if, you, if, you, if this doesn't happen fast, we don't hear something fast, like, okay, no, nope, we're moving forward, or, you know, Carmen's in, or we have this other ownership group, then I don't know if it happens, right? I mean, yeah. this if this isn't telling you, hey, you've got a legitimate shot here because Sacramento at this point is out, and you are and you sit on your hands, and the other team down in San Diego, the other place in San Diego is actually under construction for a stadium, I think we'll know pretty fast, right? I mean, the, you got to move at this when he says something like that. There's no waiting around anymore when he says something like that. I'm, I'm fascinated what's been the holdup between Carolyn Goodman, downtown Las Vegas, and Seth Klarman. Because, like, it, it's been over a year. And they were, like, Carolyn Goodman, and granted, she's always optimistic when it comes to sports there. But she was, like, like they were, like, it's close. We're going to have this deal done and all this. But it's been over a year since they started negotiating. I'm fascinated, like, what's been the holdup? Like, what's been the sticking point as to why either Seth Klarman won't agree to the deal or why the city of Las Vegas won't agree to the deal? Like, is it money? Like, does he want the land completely for free? Like, and they're not giving it? I, I'm fascinated. Like, what would be the holdup? Because Carolyn Goodman, like, all she cares about is getting a pro sports team to play in the city limits of Las Vegas. So I feel like she'd do anything that Seth Klarman would ask. Well, does he, and I have, I'm prefacing this with, I don't know anything about Seth Klarman's finances, even though he's really, really rich. Um, could it be, and we haven't heard this, that because of what happened the last year, this isn't high on his list of things in terms of finances and money and how he makes money? I don't know that. I mean, I'm just I'm throwing it out there because it hasn't been a normal year for really rich people in terms of, you know, their profit margin or what, you know, where their money resources come from. Obviously, this wouldn't be the main one for a guy who's a billionaire. It would be on his list. So maybe, maybe what we don't know behind the scenes is he's kind of balking at this, like you said. Maybe, but I, the, the only point on that I'd make is that this got drug out before the pandemic. Like, this was, like, they said they were close, and then it was like, oh, we've agreed to a six-month extension to negotiate, and nothing ever came from that. And that was all pre-pandemic as well. So there was mm -hmm. there was some holdup before the pandemic part of this, too. Maybe that's thrown another problem in here as to why it doesn't get done. But there was something before the pandemic that caused them to not actually get an issue, not actually get this deal done to where Klarman would own lights, own all that land around Cashman Field and build a soccer specific stadium. And I'm just curious, what is it like? What would be holding them up? Because I feel like Carolyn Goodman would bend over backwards. And, oh, and get, absolutely. If, if, if you said, yeah, yeah, if you said Major League Soccer's coming, I think Carolyn Goodman would give him 
whatever he wanted, yeah, whatever exactly. whatever details he wanted, sure. that's what they would give. Carolyn Goodman would be like Mark Davis, who's kind of making up rules on the WNBA when we're all like, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> Carolyn Goodman would give him everything without the checks and balances, and she'd have four calls yes. and say, I don't think you can do that without like approval or a vote here. Legacy. She'd have the sports yeah. team. She'd get to say, I brought I brought an MLS team here. Uh, my legacy is cemented. All right. Coming up next, Dave Shane joins the show as we'll get back into the Golden Knights and the trade deadline. Offensive zone for the Kings. Alex Ayafalo, side of the net and a shot, and they score! Kopitar! Quick stick from the left side of the crease, and it's 2-0 Los Angeles. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is David Shane. Follow him on Twitter at DavidShaneLVRJ. David, how are you this morning? Hey, David. I'm awesome. How about you guys? Are you still in L.A. or are you home? Oh, no, I'm still in L.A. Yeah, they got another game and then uh, head down to Anaheim after that. So on the road again. Games aren't important. They're trading for guys like Matthias Janmark. Nobody cares about the actual game. I know. I know. The funny thing is, so media is not allowed into practices or morning skates in Los Angeles, uh, like health guidelines and things like that. So even when Matthias Janmark is makes his debut at the morning skate. I'm not able to see it. I have to wait until Wednesday like everybody else. So even though I'm here, I'm not able to uh, actually take part. So what did you think of the Golden Knights trade deadline? Like, is that enough? Did you think Matthias Janmark was a big enough addition that it makes an impact on their chances to win the Cup this year? I mean, I kind of agree with Ed and his column in the sense of, like, I don't think it's changes much. I think they were already a Stanley Cup contender. I think the biggest thing, and Kelly McCrimmon kind of emphasized this yesterday, was you know making an addition without any subtraction, that they didn't have to take away anybody from their team to you know make the money work, to get somebody in there and add some middle six depth. They like what they have right now. They like their team for the most part. And they didn't want to change a whole lot in terms of chemistry or just, you know, the roster construction and everything that comes with it. That, that was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me was just their commitment with almost literally no cap space to still add and get creative enough to even make a deal with the uh, hated San Jose Sharks to, to get something done. It's, it's kind of funny. Like, they did that a couple years ago in the draft and ended up with uh, King Korzak. They moved up. Uh, through San Jose. So it's kind of funny, like the rivalry and everything, you know, the fans and on the ice, but in terms of the front office and uh, having to get something done and being able to help each other out, uh, Doug Wilson and uh, Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee seem to be able to uh, get along just fine. <laughs> uh, when you and everyone has written and said about his analytics, but if you go beyond that, what would like? What's the success here? I mean, it, it, what, they needed middle six help, but what can we look back on and say that was a success? Success, and what might people look back on and say, "Boy, you overpaid for that guy." Well, I think it's all going to be judged in the playoffs. Like everything about this team is Stanley Cup or bust. So it's going to be, you know, a, a pretty small sample size for one. He's an unrestricted free agent, so. It's possible that he's just a straight rental. It's possible that he uses the last, you know, I think it's 15 games here, and the playoffs is kind of an audition. And if the Golden Knights like the player, then in the offseason they can figure out what they need to do with the roster and how to fit him in for, 
you know, 2.5 or, you know, whatever he ends up making. It's not going to be a whole heck of a lot. I think it's just, you know, if you look at recently, the third line has produced in terms of Tomas Nosek, you know, but Alex Tuck had been on a long goal drought until last night, and they've sort of, you know, had a mismatch or mismatch of, you know, different right wingers. Keen Kolasar had been there for a while, and obviously we know about, you know, his scoring struggles for a stretch. So I think it's just somebody who solidifies, you know, the third line, who gives them another element of speed, you know, with Alex Tutt. So it's going to present a different matchup for opposing teams. And then he's just, you know, he's another guy who's got playoff experience. He was there in the Stanley Cup final with Dallas last year. You can never have enough of that. And potentially, you know, depending on who they see here in the playoffs, I mean, he's got some defensive prowess. He's got enough speed that, Maybe you're building a line that could be a little bit of a shutdown line or just play a little bit of a different role and throw a little bit of a change-up finally at some other teams because you look at Colorado's third line and how productive they are, and the Golden Knights need something somewhere along the way to match it. And if they get into a series you know, with Colorado and get dominated, then, yeah, then, then Ed, you could sit there and say, well, they overpaid for this guy because it didn't do anything. But I really think it's about solidifying that third line you know, giving them some more speed, giving them some more depth, and and being able to to match up with Colorado. Really, I think if if that's who they end up playing down the road. All right, looking at the actual recent results, uh, do you have any explanation as to why they do not score goals for Mark Andre Fleury? <laughs> no, it's like Riley Smith scoring twenty goals in like even years or whatever it yeah. is. It's like it's like a weird coincidence. I, yeah, and even Mark Andre Fleury kind of acknowledged it that you know hasn't been getting a lot of run support lately. I, I'm always the it's just one game person or it's just a couple games person. So like you're asking me to look at like numerology or whatever and 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 read into it, and I'm like, you know, I got nothing for you. But it is a thing. I mean, they haven't given him run support. I think it's, I think it's four of the last seven they've scored one goal for him. So at some point, he's got to get something. Uh, he's played well, and and I think it's still even an interesting Vesna conversation. I mean, if you look at his stats, he's still right there with Vasilevsky and Grubauer. And if he gets the sentimental vote, you know, from the general managers, it wouldn't shock me. But yeah, at some point. It's beyond just Mark Andre Fleury, though. I think it's just the inconsistency of the offense. You know, overall, it seemed like last night. I know halfway through the game, I was formulating stories in my head about how inconsistent their offense was, and that's why they went, you know, and added a little piece like Matthias Yanmark, and then all of a sudden they explode for four goals, and, <laughs> and it seems fine. <laughs> so you never kind of know what you're getting with this team right now in terms of the offense, and I think Mark Andre Fleury probably feels that way a little bit too. People, uh, there are people who, you know, would think this sacrilegious. How could you ever do that? I heard an idea floated yesterday. I want to get your thoughts. Do you think he'd ever consider, and I guess it has to do with matchups, and, but let's just say it's pretty even when the playoffs start. They're both kind of playing well. Do you think he'd ever continue to um, uh, change goalies every game and rotate them in a playoff situation? You know, so that's an interesting thing. Uh, it, to me, and I'm just kind of, I guess, a little bit, older, <laughs> you know, and, and still maybe stuck in a little bit of a mindset of once you get to the playoffs, you have to go with one guy. And if you have to change during the series, I don't think you should be afraid to do that. And 
and that sort of thing. But an actual straight rotation is very interesting. I watch a lot of college hockey. My Wisconsin Badgers actually, when they got to the postseason, continued with a goaltender rotation. Uh, I guess maybe you could argue it didn't work all that well uh, for Wisconsin, to be quite honest. I don't know how uh, goalies would respond in that in that way. I think it's probably all about the mental preparation for those guys and understanding, look, this is how we're going to do it, so you have to get ready. And then, you know, if somebody struggles, you go away from it. you got to have a lot of faith in both guys. You have to have your team have a lot of faith in both guys because, you know, if you're down 3-2 in a series and you're supposed to go back to the guy who's maybe been struggling a little bit, you know, you need your team in that locker room to have trust and faith that that goaltender is going to be able to pull it out. So there's a lot that goes into it. I don't know if Pete DeBoer is of that mindset, but I will say that he's a very modern thinker. He's big into analytics and, and all those sorts of things. And if he sees proof or he feels like that's the best way to do it, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to shy away from it. I just wonder. I wonder if he's like me a little bit. If he if he feels like once you get to the playoffs, you have to find one guy at least to start with, and if you go away from him, that's okay. But it's an interesting question, and and it feels like, you know, maybe it's it's something in modern times that maybe coaches and and hockey folks are a little more open to than you know maybe they were in the past, or certainly people like me are. Okay, how about this for an idea? Once they get to the playoffs, instead of rotating games, they rotate periods. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? I've always seen some crazy suggestions from people, you know, that, like, it should be more like baseball, where if a guy gets hurt in the middle of a hockey game, like where you just have somebody who's already dressed, and you can just jump right in. It's like baseball. You know, he's already on the bench. You just put him in the game. Um, so, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I could see the rotation of – you know, that, I mean, what, football, for a while, I, I, there was, like, quarterback rotations, right? You go in every other series, and it seemed to throw a team off, so why not do it with a goaltender? <laughs> so, on, on the goalie decision that DeBoer is going to have to make, it it feels like he's going to make the wrong decision if they don't win the Stanley Cup. Like, if they don't win the Cup, we're going to look back, and somehow Pete DeBoer is going to get blamed, no matter what decision he makes with the goaltender. Yeah, probably. <laughs> to be quite honest, probably. <laughs> I mean, unless they get there and it's like a seven-game thing and they lose one nothing, and it's very obvious to everybody that you can't pin any you know blame on the goaltenders. But there's just such a division, I think, in you know the fan base and and you know people who follow the Golden Knights in terms of who they think should be the goaltender. And they, there's a lot of people that have some very strong opinions, you know, on both sides of you know of that and don't back off of it so i mean it's part of what the golden knights did to themselves to be quite honest they put themselves in this situation they're the ones that decided to dedicate 12 million you know they're the ones that decided to roll with this and put them both out there and you know have alan walsh tweeting out things like you know mark andre Fleury <laughs> plays better when he's you know in there all the time so i mean there's just kind of a a lingering poop storm, I guess you could say, that that they've done a really good job this year of keeping way underneath the surface and not letting, not letting it bubble up. But you, you always know it's there, and if something happens in the playoffs, I mean, you know, who knows what kind of tweet we could get this year. Well, hey, really fuck. quick before we let you go, uh, was the greatest tweet ever on the trade deadline from writers who said Flurry has just been traded to Anaheim. 
So really quick, and I didn't send him this, but our good buddy Danny Webster put something up on Twitter about that, and I literally almost sent him something that I hope he stubbed his toe on the end of the couch because I scrolled through there and saw that and was like, what in the world? This is like way after the day. Huh? So, yeah, curses to him. Like, I'm not going to say what I really think of him on the air because – I kind of do the Will Ferrell thing from old school and black out whenever I talk to you guys, and I never really know what comes out of my mouth. So I don't want to get the censors on you guys about it. But, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was kind of a dirty Twitter trick, I guess, those guys. Curses, Danny, curses to them. Danny deserves all of it. Uh, he is yeah, David no Shane from the Review Journal. Dave, we appreciate it. You be safe, it, Dave. Guys. Thanks. Have a great day. Be, be safe. Uh, Danny so Webster. Da- da- well, oh, Dave I Shane. I fainted. Before that, Dave Shane gave us the uh, mental image of a bubbling up poop storm. So enjoy that. And when we come back, sports in Minnesota got canceled yesterday. Not a good thing. Pitch to Myers. Hit well after straightaway center field and deep. Going back Fowler. Looking up. Going to go into the topiary at PNC Park. Will Myers, an RBI single in the first. Now a two-run homer in the sixth. And the Padres take a 3-1 lead. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. So yesterday, the sports world in Minnesota uh, did not happen. The Twins, Timberwolves, and Wild were all scheduled to play a home game yesterday. And all of them were postponed after Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man, was killed by police in Minnesota. Uh, There have been protests in Minneapolis uh, the last, what, 24 hours or so. And all three teams elected to postpone their games. I know the Timberwolves are playing their game this afternoon. The Twins are playing again today. I think the Wild rescheduled their game for later in May. Uh, But... We have seen this uh, multiple times. Obviously, we saw it during the summer with the NBA and the NHL in the bubble. And both of those leagues coming, and the WNBA is thrown there too, all those leagues coming to a halt uh, during their playoff season. But what do you make of uh, sports in Minnesota coming to a halt uh, after the killing of Dante Wright? I mean, not surprised. We saw, obviously, the, the protests would happen after George Floyd. So this doesn't surprise me at all that they would take the day off. Um, to bring, you know, to bring notice to what happened. Um, so yeah, I'm not surprised. We've seen, you know, the protests, we've seen the, uh, statements made within the league, like you said, in all the bubbles, uh, not a shock at all. You know, the impact it'll have if it's a day, I, I don't know if it'll be an overall impact. I think it's more just a statement by these leagues that they're paying attention and they, uh, thought what happened was wrong and they're going to make their one day statement. I don't know in the long term if it has any impact on what happened or, what might be happening in Minneapolis with the protests and keeping people, you know, trying to keep people as calm and as safe as possible. So I guess I wasn't surprised at all, but, you know, I don't know if it has any long-term ramifications other than, again, what we saw from whether it's WNBA players, NBA players, all those in the bubble who made a statement uh, after George Floyd. Yeah, so what it does is it gets people like me to notice or pay attention because the the one of the problems that we have is that people don't really care about other people's problems we only care about things that personally affect us and in this case i dante wright is killed my life is going to go on and normal that has no impact on me 
But, and, and that's the same for a lot of people in Minnesota, but when a sports team or when all three sports teams in this case decide we're, we're not playing today, uh, that, that gets my attention. That can right. impact my life. If I was a sports fan in Minnesota or if we were doing a radio show in Minnesota, that would, that would get my attention and have a much bigger personal impact on me. And it gets me to care. It gets me to pay attention. And, and at the very least, read and watch and try to figure out, okay, so yeah. what happened here? Whereas if they hadn't stopped playing, I probably wouldn't have read very much about Dante Wright yesterday. I, I honestly yeah. wouldn't have. So that's like when you cancel a sporting event, it's not that a sports team is going to fix any of these issues. It's not that no. you know, the, the Twins at a press conference yesterday, because they were supposed to have an early game. Like They canceled their game like right before it was supposed to start. It's not that the press conference the Twins have. It's not that anything their manager or players or, or the Timberwolves of the Wild, nothing they say is, is ultimately going to change what's going to happen. They're not in that position of power, but they do have the platform and the attention and the eyeballs of a lot of people. And when you have that platform, you can bring attention to it. And even if you can't change it, maybe you can get people's attention that can change it. Or maybe you can get enough people's attention that the people in power say, well, we're going to have to change something here. And that's like, I mean, when you inconvenience a bunch of people who normally wouldn't have been affected by it, some of them might care something might happen from this because of it. And that's sort of the reason why sports can take this stand and can make a difference. It's not that, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is going to make a difference. It's that, oh, Carl Anthony Towns not playing can affect more people than just the killing itself. Well, and not just doing a radio show or being in Minnesota. How about those with action on those games? I'm just bringing it into a Las Vegas sense, you know. If I've got Ashton's games and it's postponed, like you said, maybe I'm asking why. Or, you know, right. like you said, reading more about this and what happened and whether I, you know, my reaction to it um, in terms of what the officer said, the the mistake she said was made. And then, you know, I mean, you're going to form your own opinion. You know, our opinion really doesn't matter in the big spectrum of what had happened there or what's going to happen. But you're right. There's all different kinds of reasons of why we pay attention where normally we wouldn't. Um, and that, and that's one of them, whether it's, you know, you have action on those teams or you want to watch or it's your favorite team for whatever reason. Um, it does bring, it does bring the, uh, the entire situation more into a spotlight outside Minnesota than it usually would be. Right. Because like, as an example, um, there was a shooting at a school in, in Knoxville yesterday. And I, Tennessee. Yeah, I know nothing else about that. I didn't really look into that because it, it doesn't affect me. It has no impact on my life, and there was no there was no sports tie-in that would have gotten me to pay attention to it. So that's like I I couldn't tell you how many people died or didn't die in Knoxville yesterday, but like that. But I do know what happened with Dante Wright because oh, three sports teams didn't play, and that has an impact on me. So that's to me that's just like there's a lot of criticism of oh why are you canceling games or whatever. But that, to me, is, is the point, is they have a platform, and even if the majority of people just sort of brush it aside, if your platform can impact a handful of people to say, oh, this is, this is wrong, we need to actually do something, then you've done a good job with your platform.